Yeah, that 40% is total food produced that goes to waste. There's about 20 billion pounds of produce that go to waste every single year. And we use lands the size of New Mexico to grow food that nobody eats, nobody winds up eating. So it's, it's a really big problem. Food waste is a huge environmental issue. If it was a country, it'd be the third largest producer of greenhouse gases behind the United States and China. And so I've decided to dedicate my life to try to change that, try to tackle food waste and really um, take it into my own hands. And a lot of people on the team that are, are trying to help me out with that, with Hungry Harvest. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Vidya Iyer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Evan Lutz, CEO of Hungry Harvest, eliminating food waste and hunger. He joins us from Baltimore, Maryland. Welcome, Evan. Thanks so much for having me. So we live in a world of sharp contrasts, excesses with so many varieties of fruits and vegetables available all year round. And on the other hand, we have so much hunger, so much food insecurity. What is a person of Americans who go hungry every night? I believe that 40% of food goes to waste in the United States. There's about... 35 million Americans that are food insecure as of last year. That is not impacted by COVID, though, so those numbers are likely uh, much higher. And you said about 40% of the food goes waste, and this is in particular the perishables and in the fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah, the 40% is total food produced that goes to waste. There's about 20 billion pounds of produce that go to waste every single year. And we use lands the size of New Mexico to grow food that nobody eats, nobody winds up eating. So it's it's a really big problem. Food waste is a huge environmental issue. If it was a country, it'd be the third largest producer of greenhouse gases behind the United States and China. And so I've decided to dedicate my life to try to change that, try to tackle food waste and really um, take it into my own hands. And a lot of people on the team that are, are trying to help me out with that, with Hungry Harvest. So what contributes to this waste? Food waste is a symptom of few root problems. So we have a very centralized food system today, as opposed to a decentralized system. So 100 years ago, the food system was very decentralized. So people were buying from local producers. You would buy from local farmers. The only produce you would get would be what's produced that year and you know anything within a 50-mile radius. And today we've got things shipping across the country, across continents, across oceans, and it's led to vast yields, but actually very low nutritional value of food and a lot of waste, unfortunately. You know, we have grocery stores that are very large, uh, that have you know, 30,000, 50,000 SKUs in them that are basically warehouses with food. And we've come to expect a certain standard of what the food looks like. And unfortunately, not all food grows up to that standard and never has. And so all the food that grows ugly or imperfect or, you know, there's a blemish on the side or it's the wrong size or shape or color or is just simply surplus out there in the market, unfortunately goes to waste. That has never been a problem as big as it is today. So when did this obsession of a perfect fruit, this tomato, which is perfectly shaped, symmetrical, when did this all begin? Really, it began with the mass use of refrigerated 
trucking and refrigerated storage, which was in the uh, the 50s and the 60s when that really started to be used by grocery stores and chains across the world. That allowed the food system to do was produce things that are very far away from the source. And because there was all of a sudden a, a, a larger global market for all the food that was produced, the standards of what food was supposed to look like increased. And so suddenly you had you know, perfect looking strawberries on the shelf in times when strawberries were not growing in a certain region. And people became accustomed to that. And so anything that looked different than that, which you know, things grow if you've ever been to a farm, things grow all different shapes and sizes and colors, that became non-standard and therefore started to go to waste. So the centralization of the food system in the middle of the 20th century was really a, a big changer for how much food is going to waste. I will say it hasn't been all bad. I mean, the, the cost of food today is the lowest it's ever been as a ratio of per capita GDP. That is definitely good and more people have access to food than ever, but there are certain problems, environmental problems and food waste problems with you know, the centralization of the food system. So what you're trying to say is that since the food was all centralized, and they brought together in one place, it was optimal for them to be of a certain size, certain shape, to be packed in the most efficient manner to be transported and to be delivered to the customers. But I'm from India where the percent of food that is wasted is really, really high because of the lack of refrigerated trucking. So in India, I want to say almost 30 to 40% of the fruits and vegetables post-harvest are wasted. So in some ways, they were trying to solve a problem with refrigerated trucking. And you know, most of us want an avocado in December to make our guacamole for maybe a Christmas dinner. So we are used to these choices being available to us all year round. I want a pomegranate, you know, a few years ago, you couldn't get a pomegranate off season, but now you get it year round. So there are two folds. One, there is pressure from the consumers who demand that these things be available all the time. And then they are trying to reduce waste in some ways by sending it out too, right? Is that Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I'm mainly referring to the food waste that happens in the United States. I know in a lot of developing countries, there's a ton of food waste because of the lack of modern food systems and transport vehicles and refrigerated trucking. And that, that causes a ton of post-harvest loss in the United States. Unfortunately, it's kind of the opposite where we have so much infrastructure that it causes a ton of post-harvest loss, but for the opposite reasons. So it's simply because consumers are sort of been brainwashed by grocery stores to think that things are supposed to look a certain way when they grow all different shapes and sizes. If you had to pick a stage in the supply chain, where do you think the maximum amount of waste happens? During harvest, during sorting, picking, during shipping, or at the grocery stores when it reaches them and they're like cilantro has some browning or this pear has uh, some nicks on it? Yeah, it, it depends on the item and the season and the quantity as well. I mean, there, there's a lot of waste that happens with right on farms during harvest where um, actually pickers are not picking out certain items because they know they're not going to make grade. And so they just leave them in the fields. Sometimes farms plow under their entire yield if because it's more cost effective for them to, if they're like a very large, you know, thousand plus acre farm. Um, sometimes it's more effective 
to plow under crops to control the amount of supply to raise the prices than it is to actually introduce more supply to the market and, and lower the prices for a particular commodity. And that obviously causes a lot of waste as well. Um, in addition to on the farm, there's a lot of waste in the packing house in the sorting center where straight carrots get sorted from the Kroger carrots and apples that are you know off color um, get sorted from the, the perfect apples. And then there's a lot of waste in addition at the wholesale level where a lot of times items are bought, but not they don't have a buyer for them. So you know items will just basically sit in inventory and if they don't get sold, they ultimately go to waste. Uh, we see a lot of situations like that with very perishable items such as avocados. When they start to become a little bit ripe, the price in them immediately drops, and sometimes they go to waste, even though you know they're perfectly good when, when they're a little bit soft. Uh, but grocery stores and typical retail buyers don't want soft avocados; they want rock hard avocados that can you know, sit on the shelf for a couple of weeks. So there's really I can't I don't have the statistics in front of me on top of my head of where the most amount of waste occurs in the supply chain, but I do know that it's it's pretty uh, ubiquitous across the entire food ecosystem that waste it happens at basically every level. So when did you start Hungry Harvest? So I started Hungry Harvest as a passion project uh, for a school project back in 2014. I've always been interested in social entrepreneurship and I've always been interested in the food system and the in the environment and helping really create the, the planet I want to live on and a, a better planet than when I found it. And so Hungry Harvest was kind of the answer to that. I, I learned about food waste and the problems this one local farmer had of selling their off-grade product when I went to the University of Maryland. And we actually had to start a project where we were basically starting a business, a social enterprise in one of my classes. And so I took up this project and started selling one farmer's off-grade product for $5 bags for five pounds outside of my stamp student union. And it grew and grew and grew. And right after I graduated, I started a home delivery service of the same concepts, just different model. And about almost seven years later, we've grown to about 80 or so employees and delivering in eight cities and reduced about 27 million pounds of produce from going to waste. So you started with taking the surplus or the blemished produce from the farmer. Do you still do that or have you, do you go and attack the problem at the different stages in the supply chain? So we work with the farmers, wholesalers and packing houses to reduce uh, waste from all three sources. And it's pretty evenly split between uh, those those sources, mostly farmers, so I'd say about 50% of our produce comes from directly from farms. Um, the rest is split between packing houses and, and wholesalers. Our opinion is, you know, if this if product is going to waste, what it looks like, how it's grown, where it's grown, we're going to rescue it. And if, as long as it's you know super fresh and very high quality, that's what we'll sell to our customers. I heard about your business when my daughter went to school in the Philadelphia area and she started her subscription to Hungry Harvest. So is that your business model, the subscription, or is it a weekly based thing? How does it work? Yeah, it's a subscription model. So you can sign up on hungryharvest.net and get a weekly or bi-weekly deliveries. You can cancel at any time and you can customize what you want. So if you like mushrooms, you can add mushrooms to your harvest anytime we have them available in the marketplace. If you don't, really don't like zucchini, anytime if they're automatically in your box, we'll take them out for you uh, with something called a, uh, a technology called a Neverlist that we use. So we also sell uh, other add-on items that otherwise would go to waste or have a some kind of food waste or impact story or food 
insecurity fighting or, or impact story alongside them. So for example, we sell eggs, uh, cage-free eggs, and from a, a local producer that's in Pennsylvania, the market for cage-free eggs is generally, they want brown eggs. White eggs are literally the same thing as the brown eggs, just a different color. And so when the chickens produce white eggs, uh, there is a huge surplus in the market, and a lot of them would get gone to waste, which we think is pretty ridiculous. So we sell eggs and other items like pasta sauce and pesto and, and soups and other marketplace items as well. How do you find these partners? How did you convince them? The farmer, I understand, because he had a surplus. You fulfilled a need. But the grocery store managers, here's this college student from Maryland who says, hey, give me your stuff. I'll take it. And sometimes even if they're giving it for free, it's a hassle. You know, Somebody has to be assigned to you to set aside that for you, communicate with you. And it could have been cheaper for the grocery store to say, I'm just going to throw this in my trash can. How did you convince them? Grocery stores or farmers? Or any partner for that matter. You know, like you said, sometimes it's cheaper for them to plow it than watch the prices crashed or the misfit produce that comes to the grocery store. It's easier for them to just keep tossing it in the trash can than say, you know, keep it aside for hungry harvest and for Evan to come and pick it up, right? So how did you convince them? We always make sure we're doing what's best for the producer and the farmer. This is all supplemental income for them. They really are not selling this produce otherwise. So we're their next best option to uh, to sell to. So this is all value added for our, uh, our producers. So you don't pick up any produce from the grocery store at all? No, it's, it's everything's pre-retail. We purchase all the produce that comes through our doors. We don't accept any uh, donations and make sure that really pricing it fair and making sure that farmers are getting a fair bargain and a fair price, making sure that they're getting additional compensation for this produce is part of our mission is making sure they're they're really uh, taken care of. So how much does a subscription cost and what do I get in a subscription? So a subscription cost starts at just $15 and that's for our basic mini harvest. For mini harvest, you get a two to four different types of fruit, three to five different types of vegetables. You can customize what you want in there for free. You can add different marketplace items. And of course, you can skip any week or cancel anytime you'd like. And you can also choose the frequency between weekly or biweekly, and it'll come right to your door. We also have options like full harvest and super harvest for different sizes. We have an all veggie harvest and we have organic harvests for you to choose from as well. Do you have a delivery system or does it come through FedEx or USPS or UPS? Or do you have your own delivery from local farmers to your customers? We have our own delivery from our warehouse to uh, the customer's door. We, we do our own last mile logistics through independent contractors that we source and manage. So if you had to put a number at the amount of food that Hungry Harvest has rescued, how much could you say? Like how many tons? So we've rescued 27 million pounds of produce in the past six and a half years of doing this. You are a for-profit business, right? Correct. Yes, we're a for-profit business. And what is the impact besides giving the farmers uh, avenue to sell their produce, giving them fair 
crisis, what other impact has Hungry Harvest had on the communities that it services? The other half of our mission besides recovering food from going to waste is actually fighting food insecurity and fighting hunger. And hunger is very complex problems. It's caused by a lot of different symptoms and food insecurity is, is different as well. There's a lot of people out there that are food insecure but actually have income, have full-time jobs or part-time jobs and just don't have access to a grocery store. Or if they do, um, they can't afford you no know, healthy nourishing food in there. We started a program called Produce in a Step where we partner with local schools, hospitals, community centers to set up a farmer's market style market where we're selling the same produce we're selling in our normal subscription boxes, basically at cost or low cost. And these are run by the community, they're run by the volunteers at the school or the partner site. And it's really just a simple model to basically introduce produce and fresh food into communities that otherwise don't have access to them. And through that program and another program we started called the Emergency Food Boxes, which we started as a result of COVID when a lot of our produce and staff sites got shut down. Through the Emergency Food Boxes and Produce and SNAP, we've served about 100,000 people so far. Do you want to talk a little bit about the SNAP program? It's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program run by the USDA in different states. So you partner with them to have your farm style stands, right? We accept SNAP benefits at those stands. SNAP dollars can only be accepted point of sale for now. They do have a couple of companies that they're accepting online payments. And we're, we've been advocating for the USDA to accept online SNAP payments for years now, but they're, they're making slow progress towards that goal. So which are the markets you serve? You're mostly in the East Coast? Yeah, that, that's correct. So we are in Detroit, Philadelphia, Baltimore, D.C., Richmond, Raleigh, Charlotte, and Miami, and soon expanding to more cities across the East Coast and Midwest. The pandemic, it has affected all of us in so many ways. And I cannot even imagine the role that you would have to play in this present situation that we are in. How has Hungry Harvest impacted the lives of people with food insecurity? When the pandemic started, we had to pivot like every other business. We saw our produce and the SNAP sites where we normally have our impact for food insecure folks or people suffering from food insecurity actually shut down. And the emergency food box program was born where we actually partnered with three different hospital systems and partners in the community to make boxes that the hospital system would purchase from us in bulk and then distribute to the community for free. So one of those partners was Johns Hopkins Hospital, who distributed, I think, over 40,000 boxes to folks in need over the, the course of the pandemic. So they've been a tremendous partner. And I have to double check that figure, but I think they've distributed tens of thousands of boxes to folks. We've also partnered with a number of other program partners to uh, make this program really thrive and, and help as many people as possible. So it's been born in the pandemic and we've seen it grow and uh, the demands can arise for it. So we've, we've put more resources into serving more folks through, this, through the emergency food box program. And I think the pandemic brought out how fragile and economically fragile people were, right? The precarious condition that even being out of work for two to three months kind of just it changed your life upside down. And many communities saw neighbors helping neighbors. You know, these organic Facebook groups which started 
and people would post, I have no dinner for my kids today. And somebody would write, I have a pot rose. Can I drop off some? You know, so it kind of made us all human in many ways, made us connect, though we were socially distanced. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we realized that our everything we hold near and dear could be thrown off by a small virus, right? Something we can't even see. And that's made made people appreciate you know what they have. And um, I think the post-pandemic life is going to be really eye-opening for folks. And we're going to appreciate a lot more things like eating a meal in a restaurant together and going to see family and going to a sporting event. You know, things that we enjoyed and just took for granted before the pandemic that got taken away. I think it's brought people together in their, uh, in their loneliness. And it's been certainly an eye-opening experience for us all. So where do you see Hungry Harvest? I'm hoping post-pandemic, People will not need you in so many ways as they need you right now. Where do you see post-pandemic Hungry Harvest growing? We're going to serve more people in more cities and, and really expand our base of operations. We're only eight cities now. We're, we're hoping to double that in the next few years as we start to grow our, our customer base, grow our team, and, and ultimately grow our impact, which is the whole reason why we're doing this. So uh, we're really excited for the road ahead of, of what we have on the plans and Hopefully we can uh, we can make more impact on the uh, on the planet. Thank you so much, Evan, for coming on Mindful Businesses. It's been a pleasure to hear your journey and the impact Hungry Harvest has had on the food insecure. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure talking to you today. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send us an email at info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Subscribe and listen to us on your favorite podcast listening app. Remember to rate and review us on Apple or Google Podcasts. To learn more about this and other episodes, subscribe to us on our Facebook and Instagram page, Mindful Businesses Podcast. If you learned a thing or two in this episode, share it with one friend. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.